0: I'm Ella. And I'm Annie. And you're listening to Undiscovered, a podcast about the backstories of science. This story starts on a porch on Martha's Vineyard. It's July 2016, a beautiful peak summer day. And I'm sitting with Bob Rosenbaum and Cheryl Steinberg. We're looking out over their freshly cut backyard. And they're telling me about something that happened to their son, Ben.
1: He wound up uh, coming home one day and he said... Something very weird is happening. I can only blink one eye. I actually brought him to the eye doctor, and the eye doctor said that what he had was Bell's palsy, because it actually affected the whole side of his face. And I did not know that Bell's palsy was related to Lyme's disease, but it, it was. So that's my education.
2: You've probably heard of Lyme disease. You get it from a tick bite. And usually, it's not subtle. There's a big, red rash in the shape of a bullseye. But not always. And if you don't get that bullseye rash, you might not know you have Lyme. You might not treat it, which is when some really scary symptoms can kick in. Maybe the side of your face is paralyzed or or your knees start to swell up or there's shooting pain in your hands and feet. Ben's
0: facial paralysis, it it went away. But for his dad, Bob, it was the beginning of an all-out war against Lyme and the ticks that carry it.
1: Well, the first thing I do is I spray my clothes and my shoes with a product called permethrin.
0: Permethrin's an insecticide. Bob uses more of it on his yard. He uses deet on his skin. And then there's spice. The family's Cavalier King Charles Spaniel.
1: (laughs) Our dog, in many ways, is more protected than we are. Number one, the dog gets a Lyme vaccine.
2: There actually is a Lyme vaccine on the market. It is for dogs, not for people. And that's not all Spice gets. Bob uh, squeezes this little packet of insecticide onto her back
0: once a month. He's got a special dog shampoo.
1: Called, uh, can I mention the name? (laughs) You tick me off.
0: There's a spray for when they go out on walks.
1: So uh, what is that, four different treatments that this uh, pooch gets?
2: If you're thinking that Bob's gone a little overboard here, know that Bob is not alone. Lyme infects at least 30,000 Americans each year. And that's the low estimate. It could be 10 times that many. And Martha's Vineyard is at the center of this epidemic.
1: I've had Lyme disease twice. I'm a family of five. Four of us have tested positive for Lyme.
0: I pulled a tick off one of my children this morning, right? Tick. And so
2: into this situation comes Kevin.
1: Kevin Esfelt, I'm an assistant professor at MIT.
2: Kevin is a scientist with a plan to solve the vineyard's lime problem. Maybe for good. The only catch? No one's actually tried Kevin's tactic before, and it raises some pretty thorny ethical questions. Because
0: Kevin's fix involves permanently changing the genetics of a population of wild animals by releasing hundreds of thousands of genetically engineered mice onto this island.
2: Today's episode, can Kevin convince an island of 115,000 people, people who like their lawns organic and their vegetables local, to embrace GMO mice? That's coming up on Undiscovered. Annie, just to be clear, you were the one who got to take this work-sponsored trip to Martha's Vineyard. It's great work if you can
0: get it, right?
2: Yeah, so a year ago, last July, I was waiting on a ferry dock in
0: Massachusetts because Martha's Vineyard is an island. You have to take the ferry to get there. And that is where I met the scientist Kevin Felt. We were standing on the dock waiting for our ferry to Martha's Vineyard. It was his first trip.
1: Vineyard Haven Ferry, yes? Just making sure. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Kevin is skinny. Blonde and young. He's in his mid-30s.
2: And he calls himself an evolutionary engineer. Yeah, his lab at MIT has this very sci-fi sounding name. It's called the Sculpting Evolution Group. And just to be completely on brand, his laptop background is a portrait of Darwin. Yeah, he sounds like a big science He's a bit geek. of a science nerd. Yeah.
0: But Lyme, for Kevin, it's not just a science problem. It's personal.
1: I live in Newton, where we certainly have Lyme disease as well. My wife's a pediatrician. So my kids are not allowed to, in fact, run freely through the woods. And that's really the iconic image of American childhood, and we can't do that anymore. And that's a tragedy.
2: A tragedy, but one that Kevin thinks we can solve. By targeting mice, the furry rodents at the root of this problem. Because you get Lyme from a tick bite. But chances are that tick that
0: bit you, it got infected with the Lyme bacterium when it bit a mouse.
1: Most cases of tick-borne disease come from these mice. If we can alter the mice to make them resistant to tick-borne diseases such as Lyme, then we can break the cycle of transmission.
0: If you make the vineyards mice resistant to Lyme, Kevin says you've wiped out the major source of Lyme disease on
2: this island. No infected mice.
1: No infected ticks, no infected kids.
2: Which sounds great. Awesome. But actually making it happen, not that easy. First, Kevin and his team would need to genetically engineer a Lyme-resistant mouse. Second, they need to breed and release enough of these mice to spread Lyme resistance across the vineyard's population of mice.
0: So step one, make super mice. Step
2: two, release super mice onto the island. Simple uh, two-step process. Two steps, great. Now, at this point, you might be asking, well, I hope you're asking, is that even legal? Can you genetically engineer an animal and just you know let it loose on the world? And the answer, um, thankfully, is no, you cannot. So in the U.S., you need federal
0: approval for that kind of thing.
2: Right. So Kevin has to convince the feds. He's going to have to convince the feds. More important, he has to convince vineyarders that this is a good idea. And, and by the way, last time scientists tried to pitch an idea like this, it did not go so great. A cautionary tale from Key West, Florida.
1: OK, very, very good. Welcome. Welcome to the Harvey Government Center. Here in Key West, Florida, it is... uh, That's a
2: guy named Michael Doyle. He's opening a public meeting in Key West in March 2012. Back in 2012, the Keys was coming out of an outbreak of dengue fever. This is a disease that's spread by mosquitoes. Not surprisingly, the local mosquito control district was looking for new ways to kill mosquitoes. So they turned to a British company called Oxitec. Oxitec
0: makes a genetically modified male mosquito that carries a gene that kills its offspring. So the idea is you flood the area with all of these very deadly mosquito dads,
2: and all of the baby mosquitoes die. Yeah. Key's residents, they were not thrilled about this plan. This from that 2012 meeting. I did not move into this area to be an experiment.
1: Robo-franken mosquitoes. This
2: breaks my heart to think that you guys have the nerve to come here and do this to our community.
1: I, for one, don't care about your scientific crap. You're not. Gonna cram something down my throat that I don't want. I'm no guinea pig.
2: As you can hear, this meeting is a total disaster for Oxitech. For reasons which don't seem all that mysterious. Nope. I mean, I mean, if I were in this meeting, I would have a few concerns about this. Just like a few questions, like, um, what is a mosquito's range, actually? Like, how far are these things gonna fly? For me, it would, it would be what happens to the ecosystem. There are predators that eat mosquitoes, like bats. What, what if they don't have that food supply? What does that change? And the people at this meeting, they, they ask questions like that, but what really seemed
0: to stick in their craw, the thing they kept coming back to, uh, that guy actually put it perfectly.
1: You're not gonna cram something down my throat that I don't want.
0: Yeah. So it was the idea that Oxitec and the Mosquito
2: Control District, they weren't asking residents permission to do this. Right. In in any other experiment, if I was going to be a subject in a medical experiment, for example, you know, they're testing a new drug on me, I would have to sign a consent form. You know, I'd have to sign something that said, yes, I agree to be experimented on. I know the risks. Right. I'm going to sign on the dotted line. And and if they're going to release this mosquito where I live, where's the dotted line? And they're really wasn't one at this point. And so Key's residents started
0: putting up these yard signs that said in big red letters, no consent. So maybe it is not a big surprise that when I was standing on that dock with Kevin Esfeld, the project that he described to me sounded a little different than that Key West Mosquito project. Kevin was taking a very different tack First, he says he's not telling the vineyard, he's asking. Right, he's asking for their consent. And not just their consent, actually. He's asking them to design this experiment with him.
1: This needs to be a community-directed project. That's really the fundamentals of it. When you're altering the shared environment, the community needs to make the decisions.
0: So Kevin is making a gamble here. He is gambling that scientists and citizens can work together. That if scientists go in asking for consent... These community meetings can be collaborative, not just
2: combative. But what it means to get consent from an island with thousands of residents, that's an open question. And that's why I was actually on this ferry going to Martha's Vineyard,
0: to see how that works. So Kevin and his collaborators, they had organized a public meeting at a library on the vineyard. That's where we're going on this boat. And there, Kevin would get his
2: first shot at explaining the idea. And vineyarders are going to get their chance to let Kevin know what they think of GMO mice. And I have no clue how this is going to go.
0: I mean, it seems like these days when we talk about GMOs, it's mostly in the context of, you know. How can we keep them out of our food? How can we avoid them in our food? Are they in my Chipotle burrito?
2: And Kevin's embraced a very different idea. Kevin's idea is that genetic engineering, it's not some sinister technology that we have to avoid at all costs, but that it can actually do good in the world, that it can reduce disease and not just Lyme, but malaria and schistosomiasis. But Kevin's anti-Lyme plan, it can't go anywhere
0: unless there's one community that's willing to raise its hand and say, you know, here, do this experiment here. Show that this can work. And Kevin was hoping vineyarders might be the ones to do it.
1: These are some of the communities that have the highest rates of tick-borne disease in the country. And they are also unusually well-educated and have a strong tradition of local democracy through town hall meetings. So if you had to choose a place where getting informed consent would be easier than almost anywhere else, this is where you would want to
2: start. Now, just how easy, I was not sure. We should mention this. Around the time that Kevin is gearing up to make his pitch for engineered mice, the Vineyard's already caught up in a controversy over how natural their island should be. The disagreement? Whether or not to resurface the high school's playing fields with artificial turf. Here's how emotional it got at a public meeting. Many of us are, you know, trying very hard to move away from plastics, move away from synthetic, move away from artificial. I can't even imagine
0: letting my daughter run around those fields. Oh, geez. Actually, a lot of people at this meeting were fans of the turf. But by the time I was sitting on this ferry with Kevin, plastic grass had prompted 13 newspaper articles. 21 letters to the editor, dueling online petitions with
2: hundreds of signatures, and at least four public meetings. And if that's the response that AstroTurf gets, you have to wonder, what chance do GMO mice have?
0: The first thing to know about this meeting on the vineyard is it is packed. There are about 100 plastic chairs in this library conference room, just about everyone is filled. And Kevin's up front, slide advancer in hand.
1: And of course, thank you all for coming and listening to this proposal. This is of course about a local problem that is tick-borne disease. And we're here because we have a potential way of addressing the problem at its source.
2: The source Kevin's talking about is mice. Remember, Kevin's strategy for targeting Lyme on the island is to go after the mice. Because...
1: No infected mice means no infected ticks means
2: no infected people. Which again, sounds great. But how?
1: So how could we do this?
2: And that's what Kevin spends the next 30 minutes explaining to the vineyarders. Right. So one
0: way of thinking about what Kevin wants to do here is with a thought experiment. So let's talk about polio. Let's. All right. So every year, we vaccinate kids against polio, right? Been doing this for generations. And that's because even if you get your polio vaccine, you cannot pass on your polio immunity to your children, right. unfortunately. That is
2: the limitation. But this is where the thought experiment comes in. What if we made polio immunity genetic so that Ooh. you could pass it down to your kids like like we do with eye color or any other genetic trait? Right. So, so I, Annie Minoff, got my polio vaccine as a kid.
0: My immune system developed antibodies to fight the polio virus. Now I'm going to say, what if a scientist came along and took those anti-polio antibodies that I'd created, programmed them into the genome of another human being? Mm. We should point out that uh, there's a moratorium on these kinds of shenanigans. That's the thought experiment. So now we have our genetically modified human, who I am going to call Astra, because that's like a really sci-fi sounding name. So Astra has not been vaccinated against polio, but... Her genome carries the instructions to make the very same polio-fighting antibody that I have. Right, because scientists futz with her genome. Yeah, so she's immune.
2: She's immune. And the best part, Astra can now pass down this immunity to her kids.
0: But leaving Astra aside, going back to Kevin and his mice. Same concept, right? Genetically engineer mice that are immune to Lyme, mice that can pass down that immunity to their mouse kids and put a ton of those engineered mice onto the vineyard like up to a few hundred thousand enough to really transform the gene pool and bam you've got lime resistant mice generation after generation
2: mm-hmm. and all that could be ready
1: 7 years from now with most of the impact occurring 9 to 10 years from now
2: not soon no and how much would it cost
1: probably the low tens of millions
2: which Kevin's not, not expecting the vineyarders to pay. He'd be looking for grant funding. Right, and all of these numbers we should mention, totally fuzzy
0: right now.
1: So this is not something that is coming up anytime soon. Again, this is the very earliest stages and we are talking to you now because we haven't done anything yet and that's the right time to talk to you.
2: So, so. that's the proposal in a nutshell. That's the proposal. And
0: the whole time that Kevin's been laying this out, his audience has been pretty poker-faced. But now we're heading into the q and I think I'd prefer to open it up for questions. And it's kind of a free-for-all.
2: Would it be possible to offer free Lyme disease testing for the entire human population of the vineyard? I was just wondering if you guys know about the California fence lizard.
0: I have Lyme disease, what the heck do I do about it? These questions. They're just all over the map. People want to know uh, what other animals transmit Lyme. You know, is there a risk of creating a Lyme
2: superbug? They were also asking for medical advice. And then there were the what-ifs. What if we killed off the raccoons? What if we killed off the skunks? What about, what about the California fence lizard?
1: I hadn't heard of bringing in snakes. I've, uh, I've, heard, of, I've heard of bringing back the gray fox.
0: This Q&A stretches on for 45 minutes, an hour, people are starting to get antsy, and Kevin still doesn't
2: have an answer to the big question. Do people even want this? Well, Kevin's about to get his answer. How does the vineyard feel about unleashing thousands of super mice onto their island paradise? Coming up, it is yay
0: or nay for GMO mice. And Kevin's in the hot seat.
1: There is a non-zero chance that I could spontaneously combust right here
2: after the break. When we left Kevin, he was at a community meeting. He just laid out a 10-year plan to solve the vineyard's lime problem by bringing genetically engineered mice to the island. And now we are an hour
0: into this Q&A. People are getting antsy. And Kevin is no nearer answering one very basic question. Do people want this? And then, just when it seems like this meeting's about to wrap, he starts to make his move.
1: Like in this room, you know, we've gotten distracted. People have their different issues and so on. But we're having a good discussion. We're identifying issues. It'd be interesting to see, based on what you know right now.
0: He asks for a show of hands. How many people, knowing what they know right now, would want Kevin to keep working on this, to create these mice? And if no hands go up, it's over. Kevin goes home. But that's not what happens. Because nearly every hand in this room jumps up. About 90 hands.
1: Really? I'm quite shocked.
0: That woman just yelled, I want you to do everything. And I'm stunned. On an island known you know, for very impassioned public debate,
2: there is no debate. But that consensus only lasts seven seconds. Because a woman in a striped shirt, she jumps up. And before she can even get her hands on the mic... She starts talking. Her name's Leslie
0: Sirchuk. She's an infectious
2: disease doctor and bioethicist.
0: And she says, basically, this consensus? Don't believe it. If there's ever a time when you ask questions like that and only get the positive, and you don't even get someone
1: saying, do it on Nantucket. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it in my backyard. You question what information has been passed along or what information is known.
2: In other words, 100% agreement means that people miss something. It means, you know, you, Kevin, have made this sound like a sure thing.
1: You have to share with the
0: audience what little you know right now.
2: And so Kevin does.
1: We are two-year-olds when it comes to understanding ecosystems. We're a bit better. We might be six-year-olds when it comes to understanding biology at the molecular level. Now, the precautionary principle says don't do anything unless you're sure of what the impacts will be. And the problem with that is, well, doing nothing is also a choice. And you got to make a choice one way or another, either to do nothing or do something. And totally informed consent is impossible. Total certainty is always impossible. There is a non-zero chance that I could spontaneously combust right here.
0: And with that, the meeting's over. Thank you, everyone, once again. Thank you so much for coming. Now for weeks, I was stuck on those 90 raised hands. Why the unanimous support for Kevin's plan? Was it that all the anti-GMO people just stayed home? Or maybe the risks of the plan, they're so long-term or so nebulous, it just doesn't seem real. Maybe Lyme has gotten so bad that any amount of risk seems worth it. I ran some of those hypotheses by Kevin, and that's when he mentioned something I hadn't even considered.
1: We know that helping people understand exactly what we're proposing to do has absolutely no effect whatsoever on their support for the proposal. Really? There's lots of data on this.
0: So you don't expect by going out and and explaining something well that that is going to change hearts and minds, that that, that's not part of your equation at all?
1: No, not at all in terms of the technical details. Doesn't help.
0: Turns out Kevin is completely right about this. There
2: is a lot of data, and it all backs up this idea That facts, they don't change people's minds. For example, a study of Europeans found that the more people knew about the science of GMO foods, the more confused they were about whether to support them.
1: What people care about is an entirely different set of questions. Who is developing it? Why are they developing it? How are they developing it? Are they going to profit from it?
2: To be clear, Kevin did talk about the science of his proposal in detail. But the point of this meeting, it wasn't to make vineyarders science buffs was to involve them in this process, to signal in every way possible, you guys are in control. And you're not just in control of whether this happens or not. You are in control right down to the nitty-gritty details of this experiment. For example, Kevin talked about running a trial first on a small uninhabited island. And so he asked the audience.
1: Which island?
2: And what will count as success?
1: If there are side effects, how minor do they need to be for the community to consider Moving forwards on the vineyard.
0: He even asked them what kind of mice he should make. Like, should he engineer them to be resistant to just
2: Lyme or other diseases too? Right. This wasn't that meeting in Key West, Florida, where scientists came in with a product and a plan. Kevin wasn't just laying out a plan. He wasn't just telling. He was asking. Because, yes, he's the expert. He's got the facts. But islanders, they're the ones who are going to have to live with the consequences of these decisions. And this kind of situation, it plays out all the time. Think about the last time that you or someone in your family had to make a major medical decision. Something's gone wrong. The doctor lays out a buffet of options, and she says, you know, you can do surgery or you can take more of a do-nothing, wait-and-see approach. And then she explains the risks with each of those options. And you're never going to know, like, in the time that you have to make this decision,
0: everything that this doctor knows about, you know, the surgery, for example. She is the expert.
2: But it's your body, so you have to make the decision. And that's what informed consent actually looks like. Kevin gets that.
1: So much of it is based off of trust. And trust has to be earned. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come with just the mantle of being a perceived expert. It has to be earned. And frankly, I don't think I've earned their trust yet, or at least I should not have.
2: Here's what Kevin's betting it'll take to earn the vineyarders' trust. First, more meetings. Since last July, Kevin's been back to the island seven times presenting to the islanders and their boards of health.
0: He's also presented on another tick-infested island about 30 miles away, Nantucket. That's another place this experiment might happen.
2: Earning trust, it also means making this project nonprofit. It means setting up specific points along the way where vineyarders have to actively say, yes, let's move forward to the next stage. And it means
0: voting. That show of hands in the library conference room, that was just testing the waters. The real vote, it's years away. Would you count this as a success if the island says no? If they go through this process, they vote and no mice?
1: I would say that is a necessary example that we need to have that scientists, when people say no, will stop. That will be worthwhile in and of itself.
0: For Kevin, Just showing that consent actually means something, that if you say no, scientists
2: will respect that. That's a win. But imagine if the vineyard votes yes, say Kevin's mice get released on the island, and say they work, say they get rid of Lyme.
1: There will likely be some form of movement on the mainland to say, wait a minute, we want that too.
0: There were about 4,000 cases of Lyme in Massachusetts in 2015, 5,000 in New Jersey, 9,000
2: in Pennsylvania. And that's just the people who go to the doctor. Lyme is spreading. And here's the bad news. Kevin's solution for Martha's Vineyard, it's not gonna work for New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Kevin's proposing to change the gene pool for a few hundred thousand mice on one island. He's betting he can do it with a ton of engineered mice and the regular old laws of inheritance. Like what Mendel discovered, you've got a gene, you have a 50% chance of passing that gene to your offspring. But this doesn't work on the mainland, because there you don't have a few hundred thousand mice. you have billions of mice. And if you want that anti-lime gene to spread, regular old inheritance, it's not going to cut it. So Kevin and others, they're working on another more powerful technology.
0: It's called gene drive. It's a genetic hack. A mouse with gene drive wouldn't just have a fifty percent chance of passing Lyme resistance genes down to their offspring. They'd have a nearly 100% chance. Every mouse is Lyme resistant, generation after generation after generation
2: after this generation. This is big after
0: generation because gene drive doesn't generation generation
2: stop. You release one mouse with gene drive, you have potentially just changed the genetics of every mouse on the planet. And I want to be super clear about this. Kevin
0: is not planning to use any version of gene drive on the vineyard. He's going with, you know, classic old inheritance. But looking to the future, Kevin is working on a version of gene drive that would not spread indefinitely. Think of it like gene drive light. Right. So the idea is it works over a certain number of generations. The gene is spreading. It's spreading. It's spreading.
2: And it stops. But still, you might think, you know, if scientists are working on this technology, that might Potentially change the genetics of every mouse on the planet. You know, you as a citizen of the planet might want to vote. And that's the thing. You thought informed consent was
0: hard on one little island. Try a planet.
2: Good and we'll the island. Off for your and protection, life the,
0: the evening after the meeting, Kevin and I caught the ferry back to the mainland. Partway through the ride, he actually pulled his foot up onto the ferry seat, started rolling up the bottom of his jeans and looking very intently at his ankle. And it took me a second to to figure out what was going on. He was doing a tick check. Earlier that day, a journalist making a video about Kevin had him out in the woods, you know, shooting some B-roll.
1: We were out in the grass at the edge of the woods, and of course, edge of the woods is, you know, prime mouse habitat and therefore ticks. But I was just curious, so I ran my hands through a lot of the grass, and sure enough, came a tick.
0: It could be years before we know if the vineyard ultimately says yes. Meanwhile, the ticks are still out there. This will be the first tick check of many, if Kevin really wants them gone.
2: Undiscovered is reported and produced by me, Annie Minoff. And me, Ella Fetter. And we definitely have some thank yous to say because this is the last episode of our first season. It is.
0: We've been coming to you every week since May, but now we have to actually go find some more stories to bring you for season two. So this is not goodbye. It is just goodbye for now.
2: And of course, the biggest thank yous go out to, well, you for listening. Thank you. We didn't know if that would happen. If you've got thoughts about what you want to hear more of in the second season, let us know. We've got a survey set up at undiscoveredpodcast.org survey. Our trusty editor is Christopher Intagliata. Thank you so much.
0: Season one would not have happened without you. Thanks also to Daniel Dana, Christian Scotta, Brandon Echter, and Rachel Boughton. We had fact-checking help from Michelle Harris. I Am Robot and Proud wrote our theme. Original music for this and every episode in Undiscovered season
2: one is by Daniel Peter Schmidt. Special thanks to our launch partner, the John Templeton Foundation. You can find more on Discovered at undiscoveredpodcast.org or on Twitter at Undiscovered Pod. And we'll see you soon.